Give the Lord a praise as you guys take a seat this morning. Well, good morning. I didn't get to say it to you earlier. Merry Christmas once again. Great to see your faces. I know many of you uh, have travel plans, so this will be my last chance to, to say Merry Christmas to you. But we are thrilled that you are here today as we continue in our series, Christmas Kaleidoscope. So first question, how many of you brought it back this week? Hold it high. Be proud of that. I think, okay, I think that's a little better than last week. That's good. Y'all did great. So I'm glad that you brought it with you so that you can just enjoy and play a little bit. But uh, if you remember, that word kaleidoscope means beautiful form. And that's what we've been talking about is really the beautiful form that is Christmas. Because as you look through the lens of one of these, it's not that the pieces change, right? It's simply how they're presented to us that changes. As you look through the lens of a kaleidoscope, all of the same pieces are in play with every image that you see. It's just how they're presented. And that is the story of Christmas. It's a beautiful form beheld through different sets of eyes, same pieces just seen differently. And so today we get to enjoy kind of a unique view, I'll explain why in a moment, from a few spots in the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, welcome, we're glad that you're there. Uh, so join us there in Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be. But as you're turning, I've got a question for you. Uh, you can shout out, yep, that's me online or here in the room, just raise your hand, whatever. How many of you like to be the one in the room that's the first to know? Three of you. It's amazing and I don't think it's accurate at all, right? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. You like to be the one that has that piece of information and that you get to go, oh, oh, you didn't know, right? Maybe, maybe it's a wedding announcement. Someone's gotten engaged and they're getting married. Like how many of you want to be the first one to know that information? Yeah, you love that. You love being that person. Or maybe, how about this one? There's a baby coming. Right? Oh, you, you, you like to be that. Clay, I'm going to be honest, you rubbed your hands a little too excitedly on that one, buddy. <laughs> but uh, I didn't mean you, I just meant in general. So you, you get that news, somebody's like, hey, I wanted to let you know, nobody else knows yet. What do you do? You're like, <laughs> you get all excited. You're like, I know it, and they don't. <laughs> There's something cool about being the first to know, or being the first to put it together. That's, that's almost as fun, isn't it? To be like, oh, wait, oh, I've seen this, and this is going on. Oh, and she's smiling. Oh, oh. To be the one that they come and say, wanted to let you know, you're pregnant, aren't you? Right? Like you just feel this, there's something about that. And, and here's the thing, if we're honest, all of us like to be the first to know something. And today, we get to take a look in the Christmas story in the narrative recorded by Luke we get to look at some beings who kind of hold this place you see for the past few weeks we've had the opportunity to to see in the story of Mary and Joseph we've seen Mary looking at her individual vignette that's the image and then we got to see again Joseph's view. 
But today, we have this neat opportunity to collectively witness what the angels saw through their lens. Because aside from God himself, right, it was the angels who actually didn't just get to receive this static image. It was the angels who got to see the movement, who got to see the interconnectedness, who got to see all of those pieces coming together in their unique and different ways. And thankfully for us, we have the opportunity of seeing all of those come together as we look through the lens of the angels at today's Christmas Kaleidoscope. And as we do that, what we witness is that they, the angels, got to see and proclaim, first of all, the improbable. Through the lens of the angels, we witness that they got to see and to declare, to see and to proclaim the improbable. Let's start with Luke chapter 1. And part of your uh, action steps, your homework for this week is actually to read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 in their entirety uh, up to a certain stopping point. But let's just catch a few highlights here. Luke chapter 1, and let's start with verse 5. It says this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest, everyone say priest, Priest. that's going to come into play in a minute, named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. Verse 7. It says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And now let's read verse 11. And there appeared to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord that we later find out is Gabriel, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him these words that are so familiar throughout this story. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man And my wife is advanced in years. Right off the bat, we get to see this first image of the improbable come into play. Because here's Zechariah, he's going about his business, right? He is in the temple. He is making preparations for sacrifices. He is burning incense. He is worshiping God when all of a sudden this terrifying otherworldly being just appears out of nowhere. And in that moment, not only would that be enough to shake this gentleman, this angel, Gabriel, comes to announce this to what an old man Zechariah just gets really honest the angel Gabriel says hey that scares you enough you're gonna have a son wait what and he says it to an old man this old man who has spent years decades the vast majority of his life trying to get past the idea 
of never having a child. Trying to get past the idea even more of never having a son. Trying to get past the idea that what that means is that with him, his name dies. With him, his family dies. An old man. But not only does Zechariah admit, observe, hey, I'm old, but he also says that my wife, Elizabeth, is what? Advanced in years. Pause. Because, fellas, this is not the primary message of the text, even remotely. But there is some wisdom to be gleaned from Zechariah's approach here. Gabriel comes and says, you and your wife are going to have a son. And the response from Zechariah is, Gabe, dude, how is this going to happen? I am a crusty old man. And my wife is, she's advanced in years. (laughs) Right? It's like I know with Mamacita, Mamacita is not short. She is fun-sized. there's some wisdom there we've gone off the rails let's get back anyway Gabriel says you are going to have a baby get ready get ready now we aren't certain what Elizabeth's numerical age would have been We don't know that for sure. There's not enough historical evidence. There's not enough contextual or textual clues to give that to us. So at best, we have an estimate. But there is some agreement with scholars and historians that likely that advanced in years meant that Elizabeth was somewhere in her 60s. Okay? (laughs) That one got you, didn't it, Leslie? Some of y'all in the room said, whew, Jesus, help me, right? Any, any lovely ladies uh, who are advanced in years in the room that would be willing to say, yeah, that's me? Imagine this, okay? Imagine this announcement comes. I want you to consider this is improbable, right? Now, here's the thing, though. It's improbable, but I can give you a little bit of information. How about this? In January of 1949, Inez Turley was just shy of her 59th birthday. Her husband, Fred, was 65. Inez was just shy of her 59th birthday when she gave birth to a naturally conceived baby boy. It's 59. Right? Wow. But wait, there's more. In my search, I also discovered a case in the Lancet Medical Journal of an unnamed English woman who also naturally conceived and gave birth when she was 62 and a half years old. No, wait, I'm not done. To triplets. Wow. Then, how about this one? I've got one more for you. Eramati Mangama, who in 2019 ended up in the record books because she gave birth at the age of 74. 
to twins. Some of y'all are like, do not pray for me. And here's the thing, undoubtedly, we know, we know that Zechariah had no understanding of any of this. He, he had no context for that, right? Except he did. Because at the very least, what Zechariah, whose profession was a priest, how, y'all, really, Nazareth? Nazareth, I mean, it's, it's, y'all kill me sometimes. It's like I'm the worst preacher ever. Anyway, back to this. Uh, listen, I'm teasing. It's a joke, kind of. Zechariah, who was a priest who served faithfully in the temple, would have known of at the very least one story. One story that actually set in motion the very reason that he was now a priest in the temple. The story of the conception of a baby boy who would be named Isaac, whose parents were Abraham and Sarah, Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, 11, just for point of reference, it's interesting. Elizabeth was advanced in years. If you go to Genesis chapter 18, verse 11, you'll find that Sarah was well advanced in years. That's how it's recorded. I'm not even being funny right now. So, so you need to know Zechariah knew about this story and he knew Sarah was old. And when I say old, y'all, I don't mean like too old to have a baby old. I mean like celebrating your smucker's birthday on the Today Show old. <laughs> she was old. And yet she gives birth to Isaac, and historians, theologians are all in complete agreement. We see it there, even in the text, as you read through the story, that Sarah would have been 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. Why bring this up, Nate? Because the point is this. It could happen. Like, biologically, it is possible that Elizabeth could have a baby. But let's get real. And let's side as we want to with Zechariah here that this is unlikely. This is improbable. And yet, verse 24 records that after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, did, in fact, conceive and later gave birth to John, who would be John the Baptist. You see, as we look through the lens of the angels, what happens is all of a sudden we get to look beyond the natural. We get to look beyond natural understanding and past experience to the right now supernatural working of God's hand. That's what we get to witness as we look at this. And again, while we are just observers in all of this, while this, while this series isn't about, like, what do we glean from? It's more about just seeing it and being in awe and wonder. While we are observers, it should serve as an encouragement, and hear me, a challenge to us that God is bigger than the unlikely. God is bigger than the improbable. 
because he's God, which takes us to the next image that we get to see through the lens of the angels. Because as if that weren't enough, the improbable, this is that moment where all of a sudden we come to the you ain't seen nothing yet moment. Because through the lens of the angels, we witness they got to see and proclaim the improbable, but even more, they got to see and proclaim the impossible. The impossible. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, a passage we looked at a few weeks ago. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. With God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So Gabriel offers up another uh, we're having a baby moment, except it's not we're having a baby, it's you're having a baby in this moment. He says, It's just you. You're going to have, and I know all the women in the room are like, Well, it's never we're having a baby, Nate. Uh, I know, I'm aware. But in this moment, Gabriel again has this view, and he says to Mary, you're going to have this child. So let's unpack this a bit. We already touched on this a few weeks ago. Mary, we already saw, was able to articulate quite astutely that there was, in fact, a biological element that made this completely impossible. Right? If you read the text, she says in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? This can't happen. But let's take it a step further. Let's go beyond just the simple and the obvious in this as we read this. And let's place our thinking within the proper historical context, okay? And in this case, I don't mean the cultural elements, the social elements. I just mean in the timeline of human history, let's get our brains to where she was and something else jumps out. Because as we read that, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Did you catch it? The angel says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. That's a pretty significant detail. At a time and a place when people didn't know what a baby would be until, ta-da! Are you with me? It's not like there was going to be an ultrasound tech that rolled in a piece of equipment into Mary's abode and dirt floor and say, well, just, let's just see if the Gabriel was right on this one. Let's check it out. That's not going to happen. So this, this statement, you will bear a son. That's pretty, pretty momentous. You say, well, Nate, I mean, it's still a 50-50 shot. You're right, that's true. But consider this. Look at what else Gabriel had to say in verse 32. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Okay, now wait a minute. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, 
there will be no end. You remember, these words of the angel Gabriel point back to prophecies of the coming Messiah. Words that were spoken hundreds of years before his birth. How about a few of them? Let's, let's think on just a few of them explicitly about his birth. Nothing else about who he would be as Jesus the Messiah, but just the birth of this one who would come. Micah chapter 5 actually gives us an indication that he would be born in Bethlehem. Correct. The baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay? <laughs> Micah chapter 5, hundreds of years before, gives us that prophetic word that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 22, Isaiah chapter 7, 2 Samuel 7, all give us the indication the Messiah would be of the house of David. Isaiah 11 takes it a step further, the root of Jesse. Isaiah chapter 7, born of a virgin. These are just a few of those prophecies only pertaining just to his birth. Now think about this. Just participate with me. Close your eyes for a moment and just think. How does one who has yet to be born arrange to be born to a specific family? How does one who has yet to be born arrange to be born not just to a specific family, but to a specific branch of that family? How does one arrange to be born in a specific city? A city, mind you, that the mother and adoptive father don't even live in. Now open your eyes. These are the things that keep me up at night. These are the things that swirl through my mind. Maybe they do yours as well. Just the, the, the sheer odds of that. How did that all fall into place? And I've shared this before a few years ago in a Christmas series we did, but this is one of those that is worth repeating. It's a great reminder because someone else was thinking about these things too. And about 60 years ago, a professor of mathematics and probabilities and astronomy at Westmont College started thinking about these questions and crunching the numbers to discover the odds of one person fulfilling just Eight prophecies about the Messiah. Mind you, if you go through the Old Testament, and it depends on interpretation, so I'm not giving a hard number here. Andy's like, yes, thank you. Somewhere around 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Dr. Peter Stoner said, what would be the odds of one individual at that one time in history fulfilling just eight, just eight of those prophecies? And so, Dr. Stoner concluded and had his research reviewed, verified by multiple peers. And again, this was mathematics. It's just probabilities. Verified by all of them. And where he landed was that for one person to fulfill eight of the prophecies about the Messiah, as Jesus did, was one in 10 to the 17th power. There's an extra 
colon there. Just ignore that. One in 10 to the 17th power. So that's 10 with 17 more zeros. Or you can write it this way in your notes. One in 100 quadrillion. Just to fill eight of them. Folks, this is where we have to come to a place that we go, he was more than a man. This is where if we have some doubts, we at least need to come to the table on this. We at least need to go, this this is unreal. One in 100 quadrillion. And in case for you, you're like, I can't even comprehend that number. I'll be honest. I don't think any of us can comprehend that number. But how about a word picture that Dr. Peter Stoner offered for us? How many of you know uh, what these are right here? What are those? Can you see them? Yeah, silver dollars. Exactly. So the imagery that he gave was this. To, to give that picture of one in 100 quadrillion, it would be the same as if you took silver dollars and laid them two feet deep, okay? Two feet deep, you're like, well, okay, that's a little wild, across the entire state of Texas. If you laid silver dollars two feet deep across the entire state of Texas and then took one man and blindfolded him and marked one of those silver dollars and said, find it. That's the odds. Can we even call them odds anymore? It's impossible. That's what's going on here. And that's what the angel Gabriel got to announce as he came to Mary was, hey, God's gonna do an impossible thing through you. That was her question. How can this be? And so he summarizes this entire thing. Your cousin, you, God coming to earth through you, a virgin. He summarizes it all in verse 37 by saying this. Nothing will be impossible with God. So through the lens of the angels, we get to see all of that. And finally... We get to witness that they got to see and proclaim the improbable, the impossible, and ultimately the incredible. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the shepherds were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. There it is again. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Have you ever had a kid try to come and tell you something that they were so excited they were to the point that they were beside themselves? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've been that person before as an adult, but I remember I I used to love it. I used to love it when my kids were little, 
like five, six years old, and they would come running up to me after a day at school and start trying to tell me about something really cool that happened. You know what I'm talking about? And they're like, I did and then we were out on the playground, and then Joey, he did this, and this, and you're like, come on, come on, you can get it out, right? You know what I'm talking about? I don't have those anymore. They're, they're, they're grown up, and they talk that. Now I get to, Kennedy comes and grabs me, Kennedy Henry, on a Sunday, she'll run up to me, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be the best, right? And I love that we got all these babies being born at Movement Church, because I'm just going to wait for the day that they come running up to say something, and I'm just going to sit there and soak it in. It's so cool to hear someone so excited that, that they can hardly get it out. You know what I'm talking about? Now, think about this for a moment. This is my creative imagination. It's not in the text, so don't hold me to this. But I can't help but wonder if this wasn't just an announcement to those listening, but the actual sense that the angel had in this moment. Are you with me? That it wasn't Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. No, understand, this was the thing that the angelic beings had heard about for eons and now all of a sudden the time had come and this angel gets to come on the scene and be the first one to declare, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. And you're like, Nate, that's not how it was. You weren't there. But I can promise you at the very least there was some intensity and, and, and there was some thunderous bravado and excitement and, and just noise that filled the air. As this announcement came, this announcement was not just a declaration. It was heavenly elation. It's finally come. Look, 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 look. It's happening. Good news. Good news. The best news the world has ever known. That word for that phrase, good news, in the Greek, we see it here. And then throughout the New Testament, it refers to sharing the complete message of Jesus Christ. Euanglion, euanglitzio, it's where we get our word evangelism. That great joy and privilege of the act of telling someone that Jesus Christ stepped out of the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of heaven to restore the fractured relationship between God and man. That's good news. It's the best news. And that night of the birth of our Savior is what the angel got to share. He was literally the first evangelist. Behold, I bring you good news. And in that moment, all of a sudden, the word that for generations had been, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, it was now. 
He's here. This day, the very thing you've been waiting on is here. And I would submit to some of you in this room, the very thing you've been waiting on is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's here. He's here. That's the hope. That's the glory. That's the beauty of Christmas. Good news that brings great joy. Megas keras, abundant rejoicing, exceeding rejoicing. And hear me when I say this part, because I know that for some, perhaps many, this season doesn't feel like it's marked by great joy. Maybe for many years, maybe this year for the first time. Because we feel overwhelmed with life. Overwhelmed with loss. Overwhelmed by heartbreak. But please know I say this with a kind, loving, compassionate heart. The joy the angel proclaimed that evening, the joy that we sing about at Christmas that makes Andy jump up and down on this platform. The joy that we're talking about, it's not circumstantial. It is not about how good my life is going or not going. That joy is not marked by presence or positions or possessions, but by a person who came. And we can only know that abundance of joy if we know him. And if we place him back at the center this season. And it is in that moment that our greatest loss can turn into our greatest joy. Not because of what's happening, but because of who he is. And then, as that singular being announces, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We come now to this climactic refrain. I'm talking about the moment that goosebumps like the world has never known made their way into our atmosphere. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had one of those moments, even just in a musical sense, right? I was asking a few people, like, well, what's a song that you think of that you're like, you just hear it? Uh, I think it was my son actually said, I think Ludwig Gorenson, he's a composer, and there's a song from a uh, new movie Oppenheimer called Can You Hear the Music? And there's just one moment that, like, you can actually feel it. It's just really powerful. For some of us, generationally, I know some of you, like, you know what that feels like, that, that climactic build when you hear a certain uh, set of drums, they go, do 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 Yeah, see, I know. Some of you are like, oh, I want to sing it so bad. No, please don't. But seriously, in those moments, I can recall one moment that I experienced this, and it was sitting in a movie theater with many people from Movement Church a few Christmases ago. And we sang this song uh, just last week, I think it was. But we were sitting in this movie, a movie theater. Not a church building. 
You know why? Because the church isn't a building, it's a people. And there were people gathered together there, and there was this song at the very end that I still, it just gets me. And so I brought it so we can just show just a little clip of it so that you can get this sense of it and understand where it was that they arrived. So they're going to play it for you and crank it up. And if you want to sing, you go ahead and sing. I don't care. If you want to lose it, just go ahead and lose it. But go ahead. Let's play that for them. talking about now like now imagine that sung by an angelic choir that just appears in the heavens y'all they didn't fly in there's there's no description that they had wings these were just angelic beings we got it all messed up just one angel it's talking all of a sudden boom glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men upon whom his favor rests Oh, come on. <laughs> to, to have seen, to have witnessed, to have experienced that moment. That's the moment that a band of shepherds knew God had made a way. That God had become flesh to walk with us. The one who was there at the foundation of the world, the one who spoke the very stars into existence was here. That's incredible. Don't lose that this Christmas. There's busyness, and there's presents, and there's parties, and there's family, and there's travel, but I beg of you, Don't lose the sense of awe and wonder that God came to earth to save us. See, the awesome thing is, much like the angels had the privilege of seeing all of those pieces moving, interacting, interconnected because of where we now find ourselves in the timeline of history we get to see all of those pieces and my challenge to you is what do you do with it do we relegate the beautiful form of his coming to commonplace Or are we so captivated by it? Are we so enthralled by it that we leave right now from here 
like the shepherds and go tell somebody. Because if his coming is in fact all that it was for the purpose that it was, you better tell somebody that he's here. And maybe for you, you're here in this room and you say, Nate, I want to know that God who came to earth for me, you can. As he's drawing on your heart in this moment, you can come to him with a humble prayer that simply says, thank you for doing the impossible so that I can know the incredible. You can come to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner but I believe you did step down of the awesomeness of heaven, that you became one of us, that you died on that cross and you did all of this so that I could be called yours. If that's you this morning, I beg of you, don't leave this place without grabbing one of us, grabbing somebody with a blue lanyard, texting a message to a number that'll be on the screen after we close. But know this, he came. And while it changed everything, what matters most is did it change us? Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this time and pray it all in the mighty, matchless name of our Savior, Jesus.